Uh, hello there. My name is Robert Higgins. And I'm Kay Tuxford. And this is episode 92 of Screenwriting from the Trenches, a podcast about the craft and expression of screenwriting in all of its forms from the perspective of writers just like you. That's my macho uh, man, Randy Savage impression. How'd that, how'd that go? It's perfect. <laughs> okay. This week, we are speaking with screenwriting veteran and Twitter mentor of many new writers, Cindy Bagel. Cindy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Uh, I've wanted to get Cindy on this podcast for a very long time, but Cindy has been a very good friend to me behind the scenes. Uh, she is the person who set me up with my current writers group, and I'll be talking about that a little later. But before we get into all of that and Cindy, we usually talk about what is screenwriting Twitter a Twitter about, but in solidarity with the WGA, until this strike is over, we shall be referring to this segment as a strike corner. Take it away, Zach. And it's just another day in screenwriting drama, screenwriting drama, screenwriting drama. It's just another day in screenwriting drama. It's another day in screenwriting drama. And we're back. All right. I think the number one topic of this week and is still going strong. The flames are strong <laughs> on Twitter still as we speak, which is the Creative Minds at Scriptapalooza launched a new AI screenwriting contest yesterday. So we record on Friday. This was Thursday. It was launched and it tanked instantly, I think. Yeah. Yeah, with with managers, uh, managers. I think Daniel Seco and producer Janet Jeffries and Mark Andrushko from Script Apalooza. And the whole idea they said is that you are not AI. You submit the first twenty five pages of your script to an AI. It will generate a report on your writing, and you pay thirty dollars for that luxury. And, yeah, uh, yeah. There were prizes. They there were prizes. A, yeah, because yes. they, they used the entry fee, right, to award the prize. The prize was $1,000 and some introduction to producers. As it always yeah. is, that's the way they get you. They go, well, yeah, we're going to we're going to we're going to hype you up, kid. We're going to send your script all around to all the things. But of course, this was met with kind of, you know what, Kate Tuxford, this was actually kind of heartwarming to see kind of universal condemnation across the board. It was kind of like the like the agree to strike. It was like 97.5% condemnation. It just like everybody was just like it ranged from like this is an abomination to just read the room. Come on now. That that's just it's just in poor taste. And yeah, yeah, and especially we we've, we've reported on this like so many contests have or, or fellowships have delayed because of the writers strike where they're right. like okay, we're going to wait we're not going to circulate it until after the strike is over or we're actually like some of them are in hiatus. And so to have this contest launch in the middle of the writer's strike um, and they're doing results in September, which, you know, I don't know if you hear the mutterings I hear, but I don't think I hope they would be. But I'm not sure things are going to be wrapped up by September. Because if this yeah. the the sort of will they won't they right now is this thing of whether or not SAG is going to strike. Although there's 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 evidence both for and against the deadline has been extended to the twelfth, I believe. And and it did birth many means because Fran Drescher also signed that. <laughs> 
So there's like the professional Fran Drescher running running the union, and then there's the actor who said, "Yeah, no, it's it's." Uh, I agree with the the actors. Um, so there was many Spider Man memes last week when that came out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so anyway, very tone deaf. Uh, Scriptapalooza is now basically issuing a mea culpa today on Twitter, and people are going, "No, Pepperidge Farm remembers." You know, we're not going to forget this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, we'll we'll see. I'll be interested to see what the next contest Cryptopalooza comes out with to see if, you know, it hurts them. I, I do want to jump into a few more things that are a little bit more strike related, although I think the AI is at the, yeah, at that's, the ultimate of the strike. There. Yeah, I was going to say, Ryan Murphy is back in the news this week because he has threatened to sue strike captain Warren Light over in the East Coast. He's been a strike captain there and, and running, you know, running a tight ship. A lot of people have been working with him and he had to step down due to this fiasco. So from what I understand, he said that folks who were that, that Ryan Murphy was threatening folks who crawl, who would not cross picket lines with being blackballed. And he said that he had heard that and he was not very <laughs> he was not shy about sharing that information and Ryan Murphy who was one of Twitter villains last week for making deals with Disney in the midst of the strike while everyone else is supposed to abstain from you know dealing with struck companies then the news came out that he was had dealt with or was dealing with Disney for his next overall deal and at this it was point, also 300 billion. It was everyone's just like, wow, that's most of what the WGA is striking for. Like, that's a, a large majority of the money that they're trying to get. No, um, I mean, well, let's be honest, it was 300 million plus because that's what he was making over at Netflix. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying I don't think he came there for the same amount. There's, there's, that's true. Yeah, people don't fail uh, down, they fail up in Hollywood. So, they, you know. That there was all of that, and then this idea. While there are still three Ryan Murphy shows in production, they are still in production. They have not been shut down yet, and apparently the the WGA has said that he is operating above board. That he is not technically strike breaking because he is there in his showrunner, producer, directorial capacity, and that there are no writing duties being done because these scripts were completed a while ago, but he does have three shows in production. And it seems weird when everything else is shut down, especially in Los Angeles, where there are no shows, nothing, there's no production. But over here, we've got Ryan Murphy Palooza, and they were working on that. And then, of course, one of the strike captains says something potentially out of out of school. And then next thing you know, he's losing his strike captain position and he seems to have taken he seems to be taking a, a vow of science now there, he did not comment on any of the articles that were being written about the situation he seems to have learned his lesson i guess whatever uh, at the advice of probably his own lawyers either his or the the, the guilds they were like shut up and he was like nah that's probably a good idea because <laughs> as we all know ryan murphy has a lot of money yes he does seem to be a bit 
litigious. So, so yeah, especially for, for Warren, I hope this blows over. And I think the thing is, is sometimes I think on the strike line, like when you're there, you know, rumors do abound, you know, people are telling stories. I get told stories all the time from sets, but obviously that's different than the main narrative. So it's interesting. It will be interesting to see when this blows over, if there was some truth to that or Perhaps it was just hyped up. Hard to say. We might have more updates on it next week if, as, if, if maybe Warren says something or the Guild says something about it. And of course, nobody wants to spread more Ryan Murphy rumors and get sued. So I don't want I did, Cindy to <laughs> Well, I did find it really odd. As soon as this, like yesterday was a really weird day because as soon as this stuff came up, all of a sudden, John August released a script note sidecast entitled heroes and villains and not that any of those folks were mentioned by names it was just a suspicious coincidence where they were talking about folks but the person that he did mention was david zasloff who is who is the the subject of our our last piece of of information where apparently Mr. Sasloff, he got his feelings hurt about a, an article that came out originally in GQ was about was to what I understand was just a factual accounting of of his tenure as CEO. Like I read the original article and it wasn't really like, it was like, okay, this is just stuff that we know. But apparently it did not sit well with David Zasloff. It it did have a slant, just for the people who can't catch the article, it did have a slant of he has not done well as a CEO and he is mismanaged, right? Yeah. Right. So, so, and using the facts of, of what he, the decisions he's made as CEO. So, so just so people know, like it was intended to be critical. Yes. I will say that it was critical, but for me, I was just kind of like, well, yeah, if you see someone who sucks, it would be the same way if somebody was just like, Hey, yeah, you know how much Twitter was worth when Elon started? You know what I mean? Like, like if that article could be critical, but at the same time, still the truth. So what? Like, you run a company to ground. You run a company to ground. People do it all the time, and then still get three hundred million a year. Yep. Yeah, he can cry in that. And find his matching tan suits with his buddy on the yachts. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. I mean. I, I don't know why this particular article really hurt his yeah, feelings when we've been, been eating him to death for, for months. But uh, Well, I mean, at least in, in terms of this one, the what came out later is that the one of the editors over at GQ is currently making a movie with Warner Brothers as a producer. And so it was intimated that Zaslav came down and was like, hey, guy who works for me, uh, or wants to make movies with me, you should, you've got an article right now that, that, that brings my ire and, and I would like to see it go away. And so there were so many changes made to the article that the original author asked for his name to be, his byline to be stripped. And then when that happened, they were just like, well, we'll just take it down. And so they (laughs) took it down. It was just like, let me, let me desecrate your article to the point of unrecognizability and then just like, all right, then, oh, you don't want, you don't want it. Oh, okay, fine. We'll just, we'll just take it down. And so, you know, then it, trying to make it look self-inflicted, but that was not the whole story. And so for me, it's like, 
if you're if the article has no basis or merit, one of two things: either sue because in print it will be libel. Like if it's libel, then sue. If not, and it just who cares? You're the CEO of Warner Brothers. You have more pressing issues than bad press. Isn't that just a daily occurrence? Yeah, no? I mean, he could he could have just responded quickly, like, "Oh, you know, he they hate us because they ain't us," and then like moved on. <laughs> like, and they everyone hate would us been like, they hate us. "That's great." Yeah, and 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 like everyone would go, "Okay, yeah, that makes sense from him," but instead he comes across. It's a pretty weak move. Yeah, uh, it is. Be, like, it's these it's words very small. Me. Yeah, it's petty. Yeah, because my thing is, is like I, I would have, I wouldn't even give it to that. They were like, "Have you read the article by so and so?" And you were like, "Who?" And then you <laughs> just walk away, like yeah. it's beneath me, like you know what I mean. But this man is so small, like he's just like, "I'm gonna throw my weight around and have it removed." But anyway, that's that is just yeah. Anyway, so. But I was gonna say, away from like uh, the kind of like the ugly. Fit figurehead of the AMPTP right now and into I think this is why well, I'm so excited about this interview that we're going to do with Cindy here because Cindy is like a Care Bear stare across Twitter <laughs> like she is so full of like positivity and light and like you know I know we're like doom 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 when we're thinking of the the future landscape of writers but Cindy is like no, like keep going forward, keep thinking positive. And I feel like at this point in the strike and how all of us are feeling on our writing, we all could use a little of that. I'm yeah. here for that. I'm here for that. I could be uh, what would be considered negative too, in that I'm very realistic. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't like false positivity. I I I think because I was very fortunate, I know that careers can be made. Because although I did it many years ago, there were less shows. Mm -hmm. So the statistics still were going to be hard, right? There are a lot of shows, a lot more people who want to be writers isn't a lot different from few shows and and less people who wanted to do it, obviously. But so, yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't want you to think that, you know, I'm like one of those people that goes, rah, rah, everybody can do it because everybody can't do it. But for the people who can do it, and, and we could talk about that. I still think there are possibilities. Every single day, somebody sells something. Every single day, somebody gets on a show. Every single day, something, somebody wins a contest and wins monies, right? So right. That, that's what I like to speak to. And I like Absolutely. to speak to people who work hard and who are kind. Well, you Cindy, I, I, think I, I just want to applaud that. That is so good to hear <laughs> in the world of, uh, we've had so many negative mentors and 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 I'm reading Maureen Ryan's burn it down right now and it's just it's every time in that book that there's somebody who's being a great mentor or leader you just want to cry because they they are there they do exist anyway let's talk to Cindy sorry I'm interrupting you Rob I'm on the soapbox today go ahead well Rob. yeah no I just you know for Cindy like because everybody knows that I'm very much team doom. Like I, so I'm very much kind of like, meh. And because I'm very much like an indie film guy, but like Cindy is the type of person who, when I hear, when I see her speak and when I talk to her, I'm just kind of, you know, she always makes me wonder, am I, am I the asshole? Am I like, am I the, the, the like, because <laughs> I'm always just like, yeah, no, Cindy, 
Sydney's talking a lot of sense. It might be asshole. I, I, I feel Probably. like an asshole. Probably. But we, we, we need assholes too. <laughs> we need to balance. <laughs> you, you, you can't all everything can't be rosy. And it's I think it's very frustrating, you know, when I hear that it takes a, a writer's assistant eight to ten years to make it. I made it very fast and I and I was pulling my hair out really because if when you're young every day is a long time as opposed to when you're older <laughs> so a year could seem a really really long time and to think that you're in your 20s or 30s and it's 10 years that's such a, a big chunk of your life right mm -hmm. so yeah. I, I get that frustration and I know what that feels like even if though I I would have felt it for a shorter amount of time, but that feeling that I'm never going to make it is so painful. Um, well, I mean, it's also about, you know, the experience, of course, and you're trying to get that experience and it's hard to get that experience. If somebody says, I, you're not quite there just yet. And you're just like, well, I, I literally had this, this thing I was talking to a friend of mine where, you know, it seems like the industry is constantly exacting dues. And then it's like, it's kind of like college loans. You're like, well, when am I going to be done? I started out owing you, you know, $20,000, but now I'm $80,000 in debt. Like, when am I done? When, when is, when's going to be my time, Lord? You know what I mean? When, when is, when, when am I going to, you're going to stop exacting dues from me? And that, that just uh, seems, seems to be no end. It, you know, it depends if we're talking about television or film. If, if you're in television, if you want to be in television, you really learn on the job. You learn in the writer's room. That's where you learn everything. So they want to get rid of writer's rooms. People won't learn anything. If we're going to talk about film, unless you're going to do your own film, you know, specs rarely sell. We have to, we have to be realistic about Honestly. that. You hope that maybe your scripts are good. You could attract a manager. You could get in to see for open writing assignments. That's another separate, very difficult area. But but people, you know, people win at that also. So it depends what we're talking about. I would say, yeah, it, you learn by doing it. You know, I, I appreciate what you're saying. You get to a certain level, but unless you're in the game, you can only go so far. Right. And that also is very frustrating. And, and, you know, the first day that I ever wrote something and I was paid for it, I thought they gave me an assignment and I thought, why are they trusting me? Like, I don't really know. It's <laughs> like, really weird that somebody would pay me. And then, and you had to write it fast. Like maybe you had an hour or two. I don't remember. Wow. And then what happened was then I didn't know that when you go into the room, they're going to read it out loud in front of, you know, a staff of real writers. Oh, wow. Right? So you're, you've only been on the job a day. <laughs> And then it's death by firing squad. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. like wind it up. And just, it is. And <laughs> you know, if you're writing. <laughs> yeah. And if you're writing comedy and you don't hit, you're going to want to go home and kill yourself. Well, so, you were in, you were in line, uh, like you've been in rooms with like the, on the Jeffersons and, and married with children. Like, like there, some of the rooms you've been in are Norman Mailer rooms. Can like, I, what, that's gotta be comedy. That's comedy gold right there's american comedy legend right there like whoa no no thank you and if you, <laughs> and you if you wolf out in there you know you're just like oh yeah and you're you know there are great rooms there are not so great rooms but when you get the people that you look up to and you're in a, in that room 
you feel nervous, you know, you want to do well. And, and I think good people up your game, you know, right. you don't want to be the best one in the room. You want somebody e e even better than you. And then, and then you can learn from them. And, and, and that's exciting. If you're in a, in a room of people that aren't that good and you're the best one, you're going to start to get bored. So those kind of rooms are very, very exciting you know, working, like you said, Married with Children is a great example, Ron Levitt and Michael Moy and, you know, so many people and they're so fast and they're so funny and it, it, and their stories, you know, and, but they do the work. The thing that, you know, might surprise you is like, I just remember going into, I did one freelance uh, script and when I got there was Ron Levitt. He had the, he had the story and it's like, wow. I mean, they do the work. You're assuming that these, these real superstars aren't sitting down and actually coming up with stuff. So that pitch session was so organized and so funny. And then there's pitching, of course, you know, to fill in, but, but they had the basic story that they, that they wanted and, and to see them put it together and you're a part of it is it, so much fun. That's like one, that was like one of the best experiences was that. And also they recorded everything and they, and they want, if you missed a joke, when you wrote that script, they'd want to know why, why isn't it there? They, you had to be really good at, you had to record it and you had to make sure you, you'd put your own stuff in too, but you had to lead to the jokes that they gave you. They wanted that. And their jokes were great. <laughs> so you're very happy having them. Jokes to the path of other jokes. That's like when you have to cook and they give you all these premium ingredients. You're like, well, I have to use the caviar. It's caviar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the story would be so funny that one, one episode I did, they gave us the story. The second episode, I had the story and I did that one by myself. Different experiences and really fun of, and also how they change stuff. You know, they change things so much and you can't be married to your stuff at all. It's going to change so much and then you might not have anything in it by the end. And then people will congratulate you on your episode and you say, thank you, because <laughs> that's just the process. I got to ask, you know, because you've been, you know, at like the, 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 like the American sitcom is one of the premier art forms that we sort of pioneered. And so you've been on set while actors have been, you know, they do the rehearsals and they do the jokes. And what is it like to be in a room where you thought something was funny, but then an episode comes out and it just does not work. Like, what's that like? Well, you have to remember, um, you get to see it several times. Mm -hmm. So if it doesn't work um, during the week, you change it. And then what happens sometimes it doesn't work in, in front of the audience. And you have two shots at that. And we're talking, you know, I mean, I'm assuming you're talking a, a live audience. Yeah, live audience, yes. Yeah, because yeah. you can also talk about single camera. I've done a lot of that too. And that, you know, that's riskier. You don't have an audience, right? Right, 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 right. And here you have an audience. And so sometimes it, it, they won't laugh. And 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 sure, they could put a, a laugh track in. And, 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 and can it, yeah. And they do. But they'll, they might ask you for a line while you're there, that's a lot of pressure and <laughs> really pushes you. And so and like, you're not funny. All, yeah. Yeah. You know, in, in that kind of situation, all, all the writers are there and they'll say, we need, we need a line. They might, uh, in between shows, you go back and, and work on, you know, for the later show that you, you could come up with new stuff. You don't have a lot of time in, in between. You have a couple hours, so you could do that. And, you know, by the time that it gets on, on the air, 
it's going to work because you've seen it a whole bunch of times already. Some things you'll never, you won't, you might not like the way the director did it. You might not like the way the actor did it. That happens too, where you're disappointed. So you thought you know, it was funnier another way. Yeah. So the showrunner, you know, would talk to the director. You don't, you never go over to an actor <laughs> and say, okay, no, this way or, or any, you know, you'd never would do that. So you have a lot of shots at, at your, at your work when you're doing a single camera, it, you know, it, it's, you're not getting that audience other than the people, you know, you're, you're watching it or the writers are watching it. But yeah, I've seen things where like it wasn't directed the way you thought. And it's like they miss the joke and you go, oh my God, the camera's not in the right place. It happens. Just drop the ball. That's That's got to be frustrating. I, You know, th that, I don't know. I, I, I'm a big fan of like Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. And it, like you listen to like, you see Matt Albee, like, like as he's watching people do the jokes and just listening to people and stuff like that, that would drive me insane. I don't, I don't, oh, oh. Well, I think I think the the beauty in my experience, which I come more from the indie feature side of things, is um, there like a the last movie we did, Bindu. Um, there were jokes in the script, and then some of them either they evolved and we found a different joke on set, uh, or the joke I thought was so funny didn't land. And you know, I know about that multiverse of different scripts, but my audience doesn't. So I'm mourning something they don't even know existed. So, you know, even though I like bring that tragedy along with me sometimes going, oh, it would have been so good uh, to everybody else that just a polished, you know, one continuous story. And so uh, at least that's the positive is you're the only one carrying that, that knowledge with you. You know what? Um, if, if you're a television writer and you have a staff and everybody has a contribution, you are waiting for the joke that you wrote or the jokes that you wrote. Oh, right? sure. So if it doesn't yeah. <laughs> you really feel bad because, you, you know, it's not like you've written the the whole That's script, true. you know, unless yeah. you're like Mike White or somebody like, like that. Most of the time, right? Everybody has some sort of a contribution. But one of the things that's related to something I wrote two days ago, and I was talking about, I don't know if you know this series, The Bear. Yes, yes. yes. Have I heard? haven't started season two yet, uh, but I will. I have to do it. I have a partner who's trained as a chef, so like it's too stressful for him to watch, so I have to watch it privately. <laughs> so yeah. I've only seen about five, I think, four, four okay. or five. <clears throat> Rob, have you seen it yet? I haven't seen it yet. I'm waiting till it's done, because that's what I do. I wait till things are over so I can binge them at my leisure. I, like well, I this, this, But this is, this is interesting. So when I was watching it, I was looking, I watched the first episode, I was looking for the rest of it. And then I looked and I, so it was 28 minutes and I thought, wait, this is a drama. Well, I, like, where's the rest of it? So I looked up and, and it said comedy. And I thought, this isn't a comedy. I mean, there were some funny lines here and there. Right. But like you said, it's very stressful. And I, I okay, so I, I watched a couple more and I think this is a, is a half hour drama with some amusing things in it. And I wrote about that. And most of the people agreed with me. And there were a couple of people said, no, this is a comedy. It's a dark comedy. It's a tromedy. It's <laughs> a tromedy. I like that. A tromedy. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was good. But then <clears throat> somebody who was a teacher <clears throat> said to me, the new shows, implying that I don't know the new shows, um, have drama <laughs> and comedy and absurdity and, and all this stuff. And I said, I agree with you, except for the comedy. 
I I I think like the other two is is I I could quote lines from it. I, I love know. the other two. Yeah, Hacks three, is a comedy. I could Hacks. quote lines from it. Right. The, these kinds of shows, not only the Bayer, I'm sure we can name other shows. I, when I see the Emmys and I see the things that are up for comedies, the dramedies to me, they're not, I'm not laughing out loud. And maybe that's just me and maybe that's old fashioned, but I think funny is funny. I, I don't know. The other two makes me laugh out loud. <laughs> I laugh out loud at that. I laugh out loud at Larry David. You know, a Kirby enthusiasm. I laugh out loud at some of the stupid things that that he does. So well, what I, do you, I don't what know what you guys think. There about. are certain ones that I feel like that 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 sort of I think mix the comedy and drama very perfectly. Hacks is my currently my favorite show that mixes that's still on the air that mixes that comedy and drama very perfectly. But I laugh so hard, especially since it's about comedy. And there's a whole bit last season where they were talking about the evolution of a joke, which is something that I've always wanted to explore and how like how how you get to a punchline. Like you you go keep building a punchline and in, in, on the road and you keep building it and you keep building it until you until you hit it. You hit that joke and then the audience explodes. And finding that joke was the drama, but the joke itself was comedy. And so it was the comedy's built into the premise. I think it's hilarious. But there's also like comedic elements. There's got slapstick and everything else in it. It's really funny. But I think also there's absurdist comedy, which could almost be a drama. Where you have something like Atlanta, where I That's don't. That's what think, I was like, thinking. Yeah. Yeah, that show doesn't get enough credit. But it's funny if you're watching the show and you laugh the whole time. But like it's completely absurd. There'll be like, you know, the most dramatic stuff, and then somebody will get hit with an invisible car. You know what I mean? Just like. <laughs> It's just it's absurdist, but it never forgets that it's trying to be funny. But there, there are other things where you're just like this. I, I think you're right. There are certain shows that you watch where you're like, like I wouldn't call Better Call Saul a comedy. I know a lot of people thought that was supposed to be funny, but it wasn't. Uh, that's a drama. It's not. It's not what, a comedy. Well, I think the core of like Better Call Saul or The Bear is it's a very serious goal for the main protagonist. Like mm -hmm. it's. It's not, it, it, like, if you look at something like, and I'm using feature references, I'm sorry, I'm from that school, but if you watch something like The Big Lebowski, like, the dude wants a rug. Like, it's absurd. And mm -hmm. so you know, like, oh, I'm going to laugh while watching this. But if it's something like, I need to pick up the mantle of a Chicago restaurant because my brother died, uh, inherently, mm -hmm. you're not going, oh, gosh, this is going to be so funny. You're thinking, oh, my God, how's the family going to deal with this and what's going to happen to the restaurant? Uh, and I think it's the same thing when you look at Better Call Saul. But, you know, he's serious about his career. Right. You know, he's he, serious about being a lawyer. Yeah. He's he's serious. You know, it's not like, oh, you know, if you look at a comedy about lawyers like Legally Blonde, it's what if somebody who didn't train to be a lawyer became a lawyer and was good at it? You know, there's some absurdity to it. So right. I think the inherent, like, core through line is serious. And I think that's where they're getting some of this. But I also think FX after Atlanta... And that being a breakout, they've been a little bit, because the bear is on FX, right? Yes. Yeah. I think they're a little bit more like, I don't know, let's play and be weird. And yeah, I think a half hour, if it ends up being, and I feel like it is so far, I've only watched, like I said, like the first, most of the first season, is if it ends up being just a tight half hour drama, cool. You know, that's fine. Yeah. yeah and <clears throat> one guy wrote to me, this was pretty funny, and he said, it's a dark comedy, and the smart people get that. 
<laughs> so I, 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 I looked at his bio and he had a PhD in chemistry. And I said, I go to the chemists to tell me what's funny. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Ooh, well, uh, as somebody who shouldn't have a minor in chemistry, but does myself, I assure you, because uh, I, I tried to teach chem. I mean, I tried to learn chemistry in college, but I kept burning my elbows on all the um, hot plates because I lean <laughs> on the counter. Uh, I don't. I agree with you that most chemists probably can't carry a, a comedy show. So uh, you can have dark, darkly ironic and comedic bits in a drama. You know, I don't. There were. I don't know. Like there's certain ones. I feel like the biggest thing of contention would be something like Insecure. Because I watched it's I could watch most of Insecure. And there would be times where I would wonder, like, is this a comedy? Because Issa Rae is funny. And there would be times when this the the premise of it was trying to be it what it, it, it was a comedy. There are certain episodes that are comedies and there are certain episodes that are dramas. And so I feel like that's where a lot of stuff is sort of comes from. But then again, that may be like Maybe we're seeing the hybrid of a new show where like you're going to see things like that, where like there are certain things where you're going to have comedic actors stepping into dramatic spaces and telling stories that are sometimes comedic and sometimes dramatic. Um, I When you watch the original show that like the Adventures of Awkward Black Girl, that's clearly a comedy. Like there, there's it's dramatic kind of, but the the thing of it is it's very much a joke but once it moved to hbo it very much became almost a drama it, the 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 relationship was centered on these two women who were friends but they were constantly fighting and it was about the relationship between these two women and i think that that i think to its benefit but at the same time the the that relationship it didn't have enough comedy in it for it to be strictly a comedy you know what i mean there's there are certain famous uh, comedic friendships where they were, you know, Kate and Allie, Laverne and Shirley, uh, Lucy and Ethel, of course. You know what I mean? Just like the odd queens. Couples. Yeah. Yes, yeah. odd couples where you just you have this relationship that is that the entire show is almost built upon. And but in no point during when on those in those situations did you know there's no there's no place where you could consider Lucy and Ethel, no matter how many times they fought. And how many times Ethel was trying to talk Lucy out of doing something freaking crazy? You know what I mean? Would you ever not say that Lu I Love Lucy was not a comedy? You know what I mean? Never, ever, ever in your long-legged life. There was, there's never a point. But there would be a point where it just, it would get, on at least on Insecure, where it would get vicious. And you're just like, that's, I, I, I get that it's real, but that's not funny. I'm not laughing right now, and I don't want to laugh. I feel like I'm like, I want to hide somewhere. This is just, you know what I mean? But at the same time, there are, there's a lot of stuff where, um, you know, that sort of, that were comedic elements in the show. And Issa herself is kind of a comedic character in that she's eternally awkward. And she does these raps like to herself in the mirror, which is a, very much a comedic element. But the, like I said, the show was just, it's in a, a new vibe. I sort of struggled with that when, when we did BBD when we were trying to go around the networks and stuff like that, and I was trying to inject more comedy and I would get more notes that we needed to inject more drama. And it's just like, <clears throat> I'm like, that's not where I want to go. Like, I, I understand like the caveat of, of writing a show in this sort of vein, that sort of 
where I was going for a more of a Californication kind of vibe, where again, that show was very much hilarious. Like even David Duchovny, who is technically a dramatic actor, but like <laughs> that show is definitely a comedy. It's just like, it's more of a comedy than a drama. And so- yeah, I, it's, it's hard to be able to be good at both. And I love when I see something that can do both. And you know, an old show that did it very well was MASH. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, it had the most amount of people that yeah, that, and I don't know the show that well, but I've I've seen it. I mean, to think that a show is done during a serious war, they they could be very silly and slapsticky, but then do something that was very heart wrenching, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, Larry Gelbard and those writers were very special. Um, it, it's really hard to do that. I love if they they can make you laugh and they can make you cry. Um, one of the things that I that I, that I also was wondering if you saw, I just want to talk about movies for a minute and comedy, is um, No Hard Feelings. Have, I haven't have seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet. I, I have to admit, like, the inherent premise, I was like, oh, I might be, like, I look youthful, but I'm about to hit 40. And I was like, and I have kids that are 19 and stuff. So I'm like, well, I don't know if this is geared towards me. <laughs> yeah, um, but... But it almost felt like it was like a, of an of a bygone era kind of premise. Like if you said this came from the eighties, I'd be like, yeah, that seems right. right. Like weird there science. Are, yeah, there are, there are three body like uh, women based comedies that are coming out or are out. There's no uh, there's no hard feelings. Joyride comes out this weekend, yep. and yeah. then there's Bottoms coming out by Emma Seligman, who did uh, Ship a Baby. And so all three of those are body. Uh, female-driven comedies, and I, besides wanting to see the three of them in a triple feature, uh, triple feature bill, I, you know, that that seems to be sort of the the through line of <laughs> all well, of them seem to be in the, done in that vein. That's, but that's an excellent question. And I, Cindy, I saw on your Twitter you saw no hard feelings, so I'd love to get your thoughts on it. But I know I didn't, I didn't equate it as a body female comedy because to me it seemed like a knocked up or it's, you know, it's. For the benefit of the male and it was written by a male writer mm. so i wasn't thinking like oh it's a bridesmaids but what what did you think about it well this is what i want to say yeah i did think it was like um pretty woman which i had a problem with and i love gary marshall of course but uh you know that little girls were looking up to a prostitute i, I had a problem with that but sure. <laughs> but this kind of a thing also when jennifer lawrence said i was nude and it was very empowering she said it after she some pictures were leaked of her and I find when men are the other writers, the director, the crew, and there's one woman and all the actors are closed and there's one woman running around naked, it, it, it wasn't funny to me. There's a scene, it's not going to ruin the movie, that, that she's naked and she's fighting off three people and they show her a lot naked. And um, I felt like, I don't mind nudity in movies at all, but that scene, I just felt like it was icky. And um, there's another scene in the movie where she goes to a college party and the people treat her like she's somebody's mother. <laughs> like she looks young <laughs> next to the 19 year old, but you know, <clears throat> she, you know, in life she looks young, but when you put her next to people who really are, 20 years old, they're calling her ma'am. That made me laugh. That's a funny situation where you're taking somebody, right, as your date, and then everybody is, is acting like she's so much older. So the first scene I, I didn't think was funny. The second one I did. There were a couple of people 
that also were, were, were critical of, of, of what I wrote. And they said, I thought that was hilarious. And that's okay. We don't have to agree on, on what we think is funny. But my reason, Kay, was like what you said. It seemed like that throwback, oh, you know, putting women in some kind of a degrading situation and laugh and thinking that's funny. I don't know. So did, did I like the movie? Yeah, I did. Oh, good. There was chemistry between those two actors, but the premise I hated. See, that's what's really weird. I could go in and say, "I hate this premise." What parents are going to do that? And then I saw them described it as, as satirical. The, the The movie is not a satire. So to say parents are going to advertise for a woman to have sex with their with their nerdy son, that's not satire. <laughs> so. Um, I, yeah, I could like, not like a premise, but like the movie, if it's well done. And I, and I, th I thought it was, I thought it was well done. And I like Jennifer Lawrence. She's going to be offered now, like every comedy in the world. Good. She's going to be the Roberts and, you know, Cameron Diaz and whoever else, you know, she'll be this generation's. And I mean, I'm, I'm all for that. I also just got to see her pr promoing this movie on Hot Ones on YouTube where she thankfully, I hate when people watch, I don't know if you've seen Hot Ones, but they, everybody eats spicy chicken wings and answers interview questions about their upcoming projects. And so normally yeah. they're like guzzling milk and crying and trying yeah. to, so that, I enjoy that. And they volunteer to do it. So I'm like, you've, you've signed up for this. Anyway, Jennifer Lawrence has the most honest reactions in Hot Ones. And I was like, you are a human being. I am all for this. You know, at one point she cried and I was like, I, I get that. So, uh, yeah, I'm all about it. I think her genuineness, like, people relate to her. So I could definitely see her having an illustrious career. <clears throat> I think we always knew she was funny, but now we're letting her be funny. Because back when she was, like, Katniss, she, like, fell over at the Oscars, and everyone was like, oh, no, serious actor falls over. And I'm like, that's a funny woman. Yeah, she's, she's trying, funny. she's yeah. trying, a, she's attempting a rebrand, and, and good for her, because she, you know, she got... After she did the Katniss thing, then she had her David O. Russell period, and you know that sort of set her up as a certain type of actor. And then I feel like she gets got painted into that box and was just like, "I don't want to be here." And then you know, because like you get to that point where you're, you know, where you go and get stuck in that box of like, "I am a serious actor." And even Meryl Streep just wants to, you know, as as much as she is very much Meryl Streep. She's literally a, an avatar. Saying someone is Meryl Streep means that they're an amazing actor. You know, that's what that's what that means. But even Meryl Streep doesn't want to be painted into that box. You know what I mean? Like, she still wants to do stuff like Osage, uh, August, Osage County, where she gets to play this completely wild kind of role. Like, yeah. that's what you get into acting to act. And if you play the same type of role, even though they're, they're different characters, you know, like three or four times in a row, you're just like, I'm done with it. I'm, I'm just Boring. done. Yeah. But anyway, I was going to say, because this has been in the conversation the last two weeks with uh, Ryan Murphy and Taylor Sheridan online, and because I've been reading Maureen's, uh, uh, Maureen Ryan's book, Burn It Down, about, you know, toxicity, especially in the TV land, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned, first of all, uh, you had a great writer's room. You mentioned the Married with Children's writer room. What was your, was that your favorite writer's room you've been in? Or like, what are your like top three? Well, I think um, 
<laughs> for different reasons. I, I would say Mork and Mindy. Okay. Oh. It was an amazing room. It was very, very joke heavy. And it was very joke heavy because Robin Williams, once he got a laugh, like at the reading, then he would be tired of it the next day. And, and then he'd want another line. And then he'd want another line. So every, every line, every joke line had several Oh. several variations yeah. and so he got a reputation for making up the stuff because if they did several takes he would he would come up with another line but we knew that we had written <laughs> those lines earlier in the week uh, i'm not saying that he wasn't really funny he was the funniest person i i've ever seen in anything and and nice and you know but so that that was a room uh that i really liked um I also loved Laverne and Shirley because that was my spec script. So I was, I was living the dream, you know, that I envisioned exactly. Oh, so, I love that. that one, of course, I wasn't as verbal because I was new, you know, but just sitting there and then being on the stage with them and you knew while it was happening, it was going to be iconic. You just knew it. The Married with Children, I told you, yeah, that was really, you know, I would say there were very few rooms that I didn't like. There were a couple that were boring to me. <laughs> I was just bored. I thought, I, you know, like in school when you're just looking at the clock, I know you can't imagine mm. it when you really want to be a writer, but there are rooms that you just want to pull your hair out. Um, the show's not funny or the show is stupid. And the producer doesn't know it. <laughs> a couple of those. Wow. Um, you know, you know what I think would happen is if I was on a really great show with great actors and it was number one, right? Then you'd be on a boring show and with bad actors, and you would be like, I, I just hate being here. Um, so I want to get back to the other show. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we made go back a to that experience. Yeah, yeah, we made a really big mistake. We had an agent who pressured us into what she thought was a high profile show and we were leaving our friends and we were leaving you know all the people we liked and it was a huge mistake a huge mistake uh and it was the only job we it was the only job we quit and then we went back to our friends it was like i i hated sitting there i hated the whole thing but that was really a rare thing that that happened most of the time i was thinking i'm so privileged to to, to be here you know and and to have great mentors I mean, the yeah. mentors purposely taught us. They knew that you don't know anything. It wasn't like they challenged you. They were like, don't do this, do this. <laughs> yeah, you, you, noted, you noted recently Gary Marshall being such a big mentor to you. Do you have any memorable moments or something he taught you that you feel like you need to, uh, you can impart to the our audiences? Yeah, he says, um, if you have a comedic eye, you'll see the humor in everything. And, and if you don't, you never will have it. So in other words, um, if you're funny, you're funny. You can't be, you can't be taught funny. You have a certain way of thinking about things every minute of your life, even in a tragedy, you'll see some comedy. So <clears throat> I think that's what, yeah. And, and um, I learned a lot from, from his, you know, that his protégés, Another one was Lowell Gans, and and he and his partner wrote City Slickers, and mm. uh, you know, uh, you know, just tons and tons of 
of hit movies. And um, he all, that was like the first really important person that I talked to. And he said, you can't teach funny. You could teach format, but <laughs> and structure funny. You could teach structure. Funny is a gift. And he said, you have that gift. You have no idea what structure is. <laughs> you have no idea <laughs> what a story is. He said, but you can learn that. I went, oh, okay. I think that's good. <laughs> so, so it's interesting. People say funny is a gift. I guess as a new writer, uh, you know, I know when I was first starting out, a big question I was asking myself is, am I funny enough to write something funny? Like, am I funny? Like, what's a good test or, or an idea to kind of sit there going, oh, I might be, I might, I might have it. That's a good question, you know, Kate Yeah, I think it's a really good question. It's easier to look at my own situation, obviously, and and it would have been people always said you're funny, so, and, and if I wrote, healthy. yeah, yeah, like if I wrote in second grade an essay, I would always have a twist at the end because I I have something I wrote from then, so that was innate, you know, to um, see the funny things. Now, if you look at somebody like Woody Allen, um, in interviews, um, he's not funny at all. He's very serious. So would somebody know by being around him? Does he, does he, you know, make funny quips? I don't know what he's like in real life on interview shows. I've never heard him say anything that's funny. So that wouldn't be a very good yardstick, right? Either. Yeah. Um, I would say if, if you wrote something, that was intentionally funny, people are responding to it, then you could write something funny. If nobody responds to it, it's like a tree falls in the forest. Does anybody hear it? <laughs> if nobody's there, I mean, somebody has to respond to what okay. you're writing anyway. Uh, I'm not gonna be, as, you know, like I'm talking to you, I'm not looking to make, make jokes, which is talking about like kind of serious things. Oh, sure, yeah. So, yeah. I remember when I was working for the school system, I used to write these emails. I had to write, I was the in-school suspension person. And I started writing these comedic emails about the kids that I had in my room every day and what things that they did or did not get about life, the universe and everything. And I just, they were really boring emails, but I had to send them every day. So I just started, you know, you making my yourself. own. Yeah, yeah, I just, yeah. And I started writing them and then people started res responding back. For the first time, people started like writing back and they were thought the things were hilarious. And I started commenting on the fact that, at, you know, at one part of the day, I was dreaming about all the candy in this teacher's lounge. And so candy started showing up in my mailbox. And I think that was the first time I was ever paid for being a writer. So I, like, <laughs> in candy. Yeah, yeah, just in candy. And then somebody, uh, a teacher actually put a notebook in my mailbox and she left me a little note and she said, your things, your emails are the highlight of my day. You're going to be a writer that people love someday. Please fill this up and continue on your journey in that direction. And it was one of the nicest things that I've ever gotten. And it was just a plain, just marble notebook, but it meant the world to me. I still have it. That, but that's what we're talking about. That sort of incident. Yeah. Is usually in a comedy writer's background, 
you know, somewhere. There's a bunch of signs like that. You know, the people in your family might think you're funny. There's just, you know, you're the funny friend. <laughs> I think uh, that's been my my uh, thing the entire life. Yeah. If you were you were on the a double date, you'd be the comic relief, not the beautiful couple, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that rings true. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. I feel like maybe we need a checklist and like if you hit, you know, if you hit 10 out of 20, mate, you might be the funny person. Yeah. Now you sound like Jeff Foxworthy. Well, you know if you write a comedy script and you hand it in and nobody thinks it's funny, you know, the the, the really good test is you write something and, and you give it to somebody. It doesn't even matter if it's a person that's close to you, but you should be in the other room. And if you hear them laughing because they, they don't see you, right? So they just, and you hear right. them giggling and la chuckling, you know. Yeah. Yeah. There's the test. That That's, like I said, like I said earlier, that's that's always been like the way that I felt about writing. Like I'm, you know, when somebody reads something of mine and then I'm like, all right. And I wait for certain pages or places where people are. And I'm like, all right, here comes the laugh. I know that, and then you don't hear anything and you're like, oh, devastating. You know what I mean? Like that sort of just that. Yeah. Just yeah. And it's important yeah. to you too. The com comedy is important to me. You know, when I was in eighth grade or ninth, I think it was ninth grade, um, they were voting for like best looking and, you know, best scientist. And I wanted to be class wit very badly. And there was a, another, there's a boy in the class that would use his elbow to make fart sounds. So people thought that's <laughs> funny. That's not a class. But I didn't think that was funny. I thought he was a, he was a twin and, and, and his name was Dirk and, and his twin was Basil. It was Dirk and Basil. And um, his I, I, had a, I had to beat Dirk and we were pretty close to Tide. And there was a kid I was sitting next to. I remember him. He was like the class, you know, nerd. And I said to him, look, if, if you vote for me, I'll vote, I'll nominate you for class scientists. So I got his vote. Um, I don't know what the other guy was doing to get, to get votes. <laughs> it was just armpit farts. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and hit his head and burp. And, you know, he, it, he, anyway, I, I did not think that was funny, but, but the vote, when we had the vote, um, we came down to 50, 50. And uh, the teacher said, that makes each of you half wits. Which <laughs> <laughs> oh, the That's teacher wins. Yes. Oh. And so in my yearbook, my you know my junior high yearbook, um, we're both we're both class wits. I don't know what he did for a living. I, I'd like to know. I don't know that hitting your head and farting sounds you know led to much, but. Yeah, so those are the signs, I think, along the way. Even, like, angling to win this stupid award. You know, <laughs> just leave it. I, I I had to, like, make sure I got it. It was so important, so important to me. So comedy, I love comedy. I watch mostly dramas, believe it or not, because I think the comedies aren't funny enough. But I, I love comedy, and a good comedy is my favorite thing. Well, I, I, wanna, I wanted to ask, what sort of led to you mentoring people on Twitter? Because you've, you've been a mentor to many of us out there in Tweetland. And uh, did you just see a, a, a place for that or a hole where, where things need filled? You know, it's really funny. Years ago, I was asked 
I don't know. I, I guess somebody said you can make a lot of money reading uh, people's scripts and uh, giving notes. And I said, that sounds horrible to me. I, <laughs> it's awful. I don't, I don't want to do that. And I really had no interest in doing, in, in really seeing other people do what I wanted to do. And so what happens is I'm not in that position anymore. So I can give freely. Um, and I, it's fun for me to see somebody doing what I, what I did. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's like, yeah, it is a payback pay forward. I made a promise to my mentor, the first person that helped me, Babalu Mandel. Um, he said, I will ask one thing of you and is that you find somebody and you do for them what I'm doing for you. And I, I have done that. And um, that person has also paid it forward. But on a bigger scale, Twitter gives you that opportunity. And so I'm in a different place. So I think what happened was when I started to just writing advice or things from my own career and people started to respond, they started to ask questions. And if I like them, I, I just felt, and I saw, or I thought they had talent, I look at their page or whatever. I guess I just wanted, I wanted to pay back, pay forward. Um, I think it happened organically without intention, really. I, also think, I think like with COVID and all of us staying at home, our online connection and the screenwriting community has meant more, especially to new writers because this is their this is their way to reach out and Twitter's so nice because you can reach out to a hero of yours you know or like oh my gosh I love your show I remember when like Jeff Howard followed me and I'm like I love you know Haunting of Hill House da, 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 you know and so it's so great that you can you know be individually supportive of these writer heroes you have um it is just a great environment is there this is just something that was kind of occurring to me when we were working on this this uh, set of interview questions is there a piece of advice or a piece of like new writers when they come to you what's like the the like most common concern that they have what are they what are they looking for oh it's really funny um what their common concern isn't necessarily what i think is the most important thing so, yeah, so that's what they'll say is, I don't know anybody. They will make the wrong assumption that everybody who makes it knows somebody. Mm -hmm. When I started out, I didn't know anybody. But, you know, then then things happen and people cross your path. So um, they never worry about if their writing is good enough. That seems pretty important to me. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I had somebody recently that I've read a little bit of her writing and I, she's very talented, very talented. And she knows how to network. She's, she's, she's really impressed me. And what happened was um, she had a story that I thought was great. And she had two different pieces of the story. And she wrote to me and she said, I don't know how to, I don't know how to connect these stories. And I was able to connect the stories for her. She wrote a beautiful outline and she said to me, you know what, to write this script. And I know that, and I don't know what to do about that. And she's an idea person, mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of, she probably, she never really wrote a script. She's writing these outlines and stuff. And I said, well, what about um, a partner? 
And she said, I'd be open to that. And I suggested somebody that she knew. And she said, she's at the same level I am. And I don't, I know that she won't be able to do it either. And I said, I have one more idea. I I, I know of a, a teacher, a fantastic teacher. If I recommend you, she will put you in one of her classes. And I know that she won't really charge you much or anything. And so I did. And this person put her in this incredible class, really great teacher. And so she's going to get to write her script and it's going to be really, really good. And that makes me feel so good because she never would have written that script and it wouldn't have been good enough because she knows it. Not that I know it. She, she, I believe her. I think that she's assessing herself correctly yeah. as, as a beginner. Yeah. Which is so good. Uh, a lot of times people, when they first start out, they don't have a good barometer of how they're doing. I remember the first time I read like a, a blacklist script in like 2007 or something, you know, all the unproduced scripts um, out there. And I said, oh boy, I have a lot of work to do. But if this is, if this is the professional level, I need to up my game. Yeah. yeah. So, so that would be number one is I don't think they're asking the right question, <laughs> which, which should be, how do I know if my work is good enough? That should be the number one question. And then how do I, how do I network using social media? What do I do? You know, I, th I think that those should be the most important questions. And the third thing is, what can I read? What scripts can I read to, to learn my craft? What classes can I take to learn my craft? You know, I have a master's degree. I tried, I tried what I could, you know, like I said, I really learned on the job. I didn't really learn it in school. But I think you have to you have to learn the principles. And if you want to break the rules, know the principles to break the rules. There's still good storytelling. That's never, ever changed. Yeah, there's one thing that I'd like to talk about in my writer's group where I, I'm, I'm constantly like recommending scripts for the group because I'm like, the the way that you learn how the way that I've all, I've learned how to, to write scripts is to read scripts and not just from the greats but from my peers from Kay Tuxford has taught me a lot about screenwriting because you know Kay's a, a a much better writer in the traditional sense of, of screenwriting than I, I ever because I've always I felt like for me ever since I started writing screenplays I've been at war with the page in terms of like the format of screenplays and I just I'm always trying to. Rob is a rebel. It's yeah, funny. I am. I just rebel yeah. against uh, format, structure, uh, rules in general, and they just, I just bristle at them. I'm like, why, why? I'm constantly asking why, and so I'm always be like, I'm not only am I gonna like, I'm not gonna do this my way, but I'm gonna be so good that you have to admit that it doesn't matter that I did it this way. So fuck you. So like, that's always been my sort of thing, but uh, you know. But anyway, like you learn from other folks. I do recognize that I can learn from other people. So I'm like, ooh, this is a really great way I can use this on the power, break the rules, you know? And so, but you've got to learn them. You have to learn and you have to read. And I don't feel like people read enough scripts. And that's something that I will harp on. That and setups and payoffs. Read more scripts and have setups and payoffs because people love setups and payoffs. They just do. They, they they crave it. They need it. They don't even know it. And so I, I will bang those two drums until I die. Well, um, you know what's funny, Rob? You weren't looking for a group. I wasn't. You were not. And we were having a lot of discussions. And 
you were frustrated as you know as as everybody is wanting you know to get to that that next level and i suggested you know i i said i could put together a group <laughs> and you were not really interested you were like but you trusted me i think you trusted yeah. me. and I, and i knew there was another guy in that group who who also was a experienced writer yeah, he's he's a really great writer he's a yeah really and, writer. and i knew that and i knew that and i knew that you would find you would find your level and you would be helpful to the people who were learning. And what's really funny is, you know, after you met with your group the first time, I heard from everybody saying that you were on another level, which I knew, I knew that, I knew that. And they were really excited to work with you and learn from you. But I, but I made sure there was that other guy that, right. that would, would be on your level so that you wouldn't be bored. And it's worked out really well for you. I mean, you found, you know, yeah, I I feel like the other thing that I really and this sort of goes into sort of where we're going to go next, but like, uh, but you know, when you write, I find that I write for stuff that I know that the, the writers group is going to get it. Where I'm like immediately, I find myself looking for holes, where like I'm immediately looking to plug all of the leaks that I might normally miss. Where I'm like, I'm not going to get that immediate thing but i already know where like the sort of the where the at least the perspectives of the people within the group and i know that if i screw it up like there's somebody's going to say and yep and that doesn't make sense and that doesn't that's not good and you said this on your pages last week or last you know time and so that this doesn't match what you're you're going to do and so i'm always like nah i have to do that pass and so it also like you know being able in that format of doing things 15 minutes at a time. I've actually taken that now into account when I when I rewrite things because I feel like I used to do it all at once. But now that I literally take things 15 pages at a time and I, I literally take one and I take one piece out of the, the current draft and I put it into a new draft and I take them now 15 pages at a time and now I'm just like, all right, oh, wow. I, this is, I can just focus on those 15 pages. And then you can, it's much easier to find the mistakes when you don't have, when the, the bottom, at the bottom of that plate, those 15 pages, it's blank. You're not worried about what's coming next. You can just focus on getting to the bottom. And then when you get there, you can just, I just can take the time and focus on that specific group of pages. And they come out much, much better than they would if I had just like copied and pasted into a new document or just renamed it in order to make a new document. And that comes directly from the group, so. I'm very happy to hear that. Well, really that's, that is the magic I, of you, Cindy. Cindy, it does, it does warm my heart to know that you helped turn Rob into a team player, uh, <laughs> supporting, lifting up other writers, oh. and taking a small break from his cynicism every day to just work on his stuff. Oh, you uh, know, all those, those grumpy guys, they always behind, you know, they have the heart of gold. They do. Right? They do. We've written those characters and Rob is one of them. <laughs> he is. He is. Uh, Rob, should we jump into our signature questions? Yes. So we can let Cindy I'm, go I'm back excited to ask Cindy these questions. We have signature questions. We ask everybody who is on the show. I'm going to do the first one because I think the second one's going to break your heart, Rob. Okay. I'm, I'm, I, you know what? I'll, I'll deal with it. You know what? I'm ready for it uh, okay. either way. Cindy, do you like writing? 
It's simple. It's it's too simple of a question, mm -hmm. but it's a hard question. Do you like it? I love writing comedy. All right. When you're writing comedy, you could just do it all day, every day. When it's no, um, no, no. <laughs> um, I I was trained as a writer for hire. So I don't write for myself. I know this is going to sound very strange. I'm I'm sure. I have no reason to just sit and write funny things and put it in a drawer. Yeah. So no, I don't do that. I if I'm paid to write, I love it. I because I, I feel like I'm pushing myself, you know, to meet somebody's need. You know what I mean? Like, and that's like really fun when when you know that you're going to hand it in and they're going to read it and they're, and they're going to go, I really love this. That, that is what I love. So I, I love, I love writing and getting paid for it. I don't nice. know. That's so, kind of hey, I mean, I love, I also enjoy writing and getting paid for it. So I'm not going to assert, you know, look down on that. I no. think that makes a lot of sense. Rob, go ahead. I have a feeling it's skewing in one direction though. Are I do. Any? I think, okay. yeah. Okay. So our second signature question is outlining or pantsing. Which team do you fall into, Cindy? You're going to know where I'm going to go with this because I do. if you work in television or you do film, I did, I worked in two films. You have to do an outline. It's not a, It's not up to you. Mm -hmm. You get paid for an outline. Yep. I mean, yep. it's a you, step. Yep. You know, but but besides that, I think outlines are really good as a, a to see what the spine of a story is, and to know, and, and it's it makes it so easy to write. The hard part is the outline, where you're figuring out all your pieces. I wrote a novel. I did not use an outline. That's the first thing that I, I ever wrote without an outline. But the only reason I did that was because I just followed the instructions in the class that I was taking. <laughs> the class was the outline. And they said, do uh, three paragraphs, do um, uh, a beginning, a middle, and an end. And it may change. That's, that's you know, in a class, right, you only have 10 weeks, whatever. You don't have a lot of time. And it was supposed to be like the first 30 pages uh uh, of an of an, a novel, so that was a different experience for me, and I think because it was loosely based on my experiences as a television writer, I kind of knew where it was going anyway. You know, kind of postcards uh, from the edge kind of thing. Yeah, you know, it, yeah. I mean, it wasn't like I'm writing a novel and, I, and I'm going to see where it goes. I would never do that. That I, for me, I I have to know where I'm. <laughs> Rob and I might change it. Yeah. I might change it uh, as you know, but but what's great is when you have an outline, you never ever have a writer's block ever. You're like, oh, this beat moves to this beat that moves to that, and then we bring this in, and I know what the end is. You know, I I, I love doing it like that. So again, it's the way I was trained. I know there are other people that write in, you know, in different ways. And, and let's say you were writing a play, maybe that's different too. I've never done that. I don't know. But I think writing from your life is is not that hard. Yep. Kate Tuxford, this one, this one, this one goes to you. I'm an outline. It is very much Robin's, team outline. Yeah, as I say, normally when we record, I have a big cork board behind me of things I'm working on. And Rob is always like, <clears throat> but I'm in my living room today. So you guys are free of that. Well, okay, let's bro. move on to 
what are we watching, consuming, writing? Uh, Cindy, this is where we talk about the things that we're we're consuming in our in our daily lives, whether that be you know what kind of entertainment and things like that. Like I am currently, I finished Firefly Lane, and I don't know why more people aren't talking about that show. I really really enjoyed it, and they nailed the ending, just nailed it. What a beautiful show. I'm I'm gonna read the books now just because I'm like I love the show. Maggie Friedman has always been one of my favorite writers. She was I, I fell in love with her when she was on Dawson's Creek and she was a showrunner on this show and she is great. And this show was great. Both Sarah Chalk and Catherine Heigl. Is it Catherine? It's Catherine Heigl, yes. They both of them should be nominated for Emmys. They just they just nail it. They are they the story of these two women, these two sisters, sisters from another mystery, they just their friendship is everything. It is heartbreaking. It is funny. It is tragic. It is heartwarming. It is all of the things that we come to television for. If you haven't seen this show, you should be watching it. It I cannot recommend it enough now that it's over. And they just stick the landing. And I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that. I loved it. The final scene was perfect. I just, oh, I enjoyed it all the way down. Loved it, loved it, loved it. So, how many episodes is it? It's one season. No, it's two seasons. Oh, good. And where is it? It's on Netflix. Oh, good. I never heard of it. It's great. It's great. Rob um, has been beating well, the no, drama it's three seasons. It's, it's three seasons. Since season one, he has been binging it. He's been watching it every time. Oh yeah, I love out. it. Yeah. I love that's it. his that's his soft gooey center that he's like I want stories about siblinghood I want stories about friendships that's 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 that see that's the that's your your gooey caramel yeah color. that's that's yeah. yeah that's what I love that I love that stuff I I have a very much a, a like a movie about two adopted two adopted siblings that I'm currently rewriting and that you know that that's the show that I watch when I'm just like yeah I need to I need to like not screw this up so it's as good as this. But yeah, I, I also sent pages to my writer's group that I changed 20,000 times before <laughs> I, I turned it in. And I am also rewriting my horror script based on the notes of others, including one K. Tuxford. Also, yes. I have... Yes, I did read that script. Yep. Yes. Also, I have a personal message to the audience. Please do not watch Suits unless you want to be addicted to a show that is done in the network style. So there are 16 to 20 episodes a season, which is a significant chunk of your time and your life. I'm saying this for your own mental health, for your own time in your lives. Do not watch the show unless you wish to be addicted to it. It's just too good. It's just <laughs> too good. Uh, Cindy, what do you... <laughs> writing, uh, con uh, consuming, watching? So I see two movies a week in a movie theater, which is unusual. Um, the theaters are usually empty. It's, that sounds great. I, I love that like, routine. Yeah. Yeah. So Saturday and Sunday, two movies. Uh, I still love that. I love going to the movies. I, That's great. I sit really close. I want to see it really big. I want it. I want the sound to be good. So that's that's never changed my whole life. I've just adore 
big movies. And I and I love like I saw something recently I just loved, and and it, it's called Persian Lessons, and mm. I I didn't know anything about it at all, nothing, zero. I just like the name because I have a friend who's Persian. So I thought, <laughs> well, maybe that'll be interesting. And it's nothing at all what you think. It's a foreign, it's a little foreign movie. It's out now. And it's about the first scene is um is uh Nazis um with a caravan uh, you know, of uh Jewish people in the back, and they stop somewhere and they have the people get out and they they shoot them all. And uh prior to that, in in the truck there are two two characters and one has a sandwich hidden and the other guy has this book it's a book that's written in farsi you know with the language of you know uh persians and he says i i'll give you this book is worth a lot and i'll give you this book if you give me your sam half your sandwich and they switch that's a hole in the story because i don't know why anybody <laughs> would give away their sandwich when they're starving but okay but i if it's worth it i'll buy it so when they shoot the people, one of the, the Nazis says, that one is faking it. He he fell before we shot them. And when he stands up, he says, I'm not a Jew. I'm a, I'm, I'm Persian. I'm Persian. I look, I, I, I'm Persian. And the commandant in the camp has been searching for a Persian for his own reasons. And so there's a, there's like a bounty if they, the, the Nazis can find one. So he, wants to teach he want the guy wants to learn uh, uh farsi and the guy fakes it oh. Interesting. and so that's the beginning is and the commandant says if i find out you're a fake you know you're going to be dead so he has to find a way to invent a language <laughs> not get caught wow. And so I see stuff like that. I'm, I'm like in, I'm like, and that I sounds amazing as a premise. I didn't even yeah. know what it was about. I just thought my friend is Persian. I don't know. That's she's fun and stuff. But so that kind of stuff, the little foreign movies, little indies. I, I love that. You don't see a lot of them in the theaters anymore. You, you know, we're seeing transformers and elemental and Spider-Man. And I like these kind of little, little people movies. So that's one of the things that, that I do for television. You know, we, we spoke, I'm watching The Bear. Mm -hmm. I, I have completed a novel and now I'm up to the part that I really don't like. And that's looking for, you know, representation and, you know, somebody who, who represents books. You know, right. Yeah. So th that, that's what, what I'm up to. I've written a synopsis, which is like one of the hardest things to do really hard to do so you know have your whole book condensed into like 500 words <laughs> right right i feel like that about one pagers it's just like just the the worst yeah you know, okay so weirdly enough i love writing one pagers i need to create a business where i just write everybody's one pagers because i was like i was writing a one pager for a friend and i was like how much would you pay for this service so that you don't have to do it and I could I could live comfortably based on how much everyone else hates one pagers. That's all I'm yeah. somebody yeah. who does that, but she requires the people to give an outline. She's not reading their books. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So so and then she's very, very good at it. But I figured I should be able to 
do this. <laughs> you know it. I was going to say, you have the training. It's, it's, uh, it is hard. It is really hard. Kate Tuxford, what about you? Take us yeah, home. Yeah. Yeah. So I've had a pretty quiet movie watching week just because it's been a short week and I totally spent more time making fireworks martinis on Tuesday, which is basically a regular martini, but you line it with pop rocks. <laughs> and, and so I spent more time trying to find pop rocks in Orange County than probably watching and writing this week. So my bad. Uh, but I did catch, I've been catching stuff on TCM, uh, which is now part of Max, which is gross. But I just caught Sabotage yesterday. Ooh. And I'm starting a kind of an afternoon watching hour because my cat, I have this cat that I'm still getting it's still adjusting to our house and she likes to sleep on this giant beanbag in our living room and so we sit and we watch a movie in the afternoon it's our new thing so i will be probably watching a lot more movies which nobody oh, minds really? and then I don't, rob rob knows i'm a cat lover and he always pretends that he cat doesn't obsessed is is the word that i would use yeah well my works. other project i am working on right now is a micro budget feature called Feed Fifi about a house sitter who thinks that she is feeding a skittish cat. And it turns out she's feeding a demon who is eating her Postmates drivers and Tinder dates. So um, I'm just running with the cat theme. Okay, Rob? So I'm working on Fifi. And yeah, I think that's it for me this week. I do it did find us, it wasn't hard to find this great resource of the week. Uh, Cindy, I think you noted it on Twitter as well, which is Ed Solomon and the Blacklist are putting together Zoom sessions. They're called Word by Word, and they're screening live on Zoom Thursdays at 2 p.m. And they are free. Rob and I love posting we love free, resources. free resources because anybody anywhere can pop in. I did check the calendar. We'll have a link to it uh, because like I said, it, it's going to be weekly for now. This week, which is next week, it's July 13th. They're um, interviewing Lord and Miller and Adele Lim will be there. So, Good um, Lord, there's a murderer's row. Yeah, I was going to say. So it's definitely something you should put on your calendar to do next Thursday. I love that he's doing that. I do too. I do too. I, I think it's, it also is something during the strike. I mean, it, I, I, I was a new writer in like 2008 getting out of film school when the last strike was happening. And, um, you know, the best, the best part about it as a, as a new writer is you had all these other writers who had time, time to share, time to impart wisdom, time to talk, you know, and, and spread that knowledge around. So I'm, I'm so happy that that's kind of happening again. Yeah. And that he's not charging. He's just paying it forward. Also. Yeah, exactly. That's it's such wonderful, good, wonderful, good vibes. Uh, I love it. Person, so it's wonderful that he's giving back. Yeah. And that is our show. Screenwriting from the trenches can currently be found on Amazon, Anchor, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and Spotify podcast, as well as KevinLMartin.com. Our screenwriting Twitter drama theme song was written by Zach Morrison and used with his permission. And hey, since we're a new podcast, we'd appreciate it if you drop us a like or rated us five stars on whatever platform that you patronize. YK Tuxford. Algorithms. For questions for us that we can and will answer on the show, please email me at robertbmofo.net. You can also find us on Twitter. I am at Respectable Mofo. I am at K underscore Tux. And Cindy, what are you on Twitter? Oh, just my name, Cindy Beagle. And Zach is at Zach Morrison 18 and these things, as well as my YouTube channel, where the Cinema Challenge series 
where we are showing you how to make a movie for a thousand dollars. Admittedly, I have been slacking on episodes while we're in production. Someone, some genius, thought it was a great idea to continue making episodes about making a movie while also making a movie. That genius was not me. All of that will be linked in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that you will continue to do so. Now, it's time to stop procrastinating. Those pages aren't going to write themselves. Cindy, thank you for being on the show. You were a lovely guest and you are a lovely human being. And I hope that we get a chance to talk to you again. I know I will continue to be talking to you off air, but thank you for coming on the show. You're very yes, welcome. Cindy, it was so nice to meet you. I, I see you all the time on Twitter and I'm always like, look at her doing doing so much, you know, so much of the good work. So I will I will try to boost and and uh, and follow in that manner. So thank you. Thank you.